All right, welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Uh, in this episode, we are going to celebrate the uh, career of the late, great Paul Newman with another acting master class. And uh, once again, a returning guest, Kurt Fitzpatrick from the fine state of New Jersey is joining me to talk about Paul Newman. Um, before we get into talking about Paul Newman, and I know the stuff you, you have to say about him, besides the six movies that we've seen. I just want to check to see how you're doing and how is the, that podcast uh, a lifetime of Hallmark? I've been promoting it and uh, the shows in between. So how has that been going? Oh, thank you for promoting it. I appreciate that. It's been going very well. I've been doing that. And also this past summer, I've been doing sketch comedy on a Facebook live show called Fringe Livestream. They would have a different live show every week. And what I was doing is I was creating sketch comedy in the pre-shows so you could actually see all my oh. sketches i ended up doing 21 sketches and they're all on my website now at kurtfitzpatrick.com but the, the show is going to get started up again it's going to it should start up again in november so i'll be creating sketches again so that's been that's been a really uh, great experience awesome everybody should check that out and so uh yeah check out kurtfitzpatrick.com to get that or if you can look back at on on facebook and facebook live i'm sure that those are shows are posted somewhere as far yeah as yeah if you look up fringe live stream i think there are full performances that are still up there online as i said in the last show it's very important to support live theater uh in the form that it's in right now because I, I know like a lot of our theater companies canceled their seasons this year just because of the the great unknown of the next uh, the next little while so uh all right mr paul newman how how in general uh we'll review the movies in a minute but how in general do you what have you thought of Paul Newman? For whatever reason, I have not seen a lot of Paul Newman movies in my lifetime. I never saw Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I never saw HUD. I never saw Cool Hand Luke. Um, the six movies that we're going to do today, I've never seen any of those until the last 42 hours. I had seen Slapshot, and that's funny. Classic. That, must be, that must be a big movie up in Canada, I would assume, right? It is. It yeah. is. I, I have some friends which uh, say it's one of their favorite movies of all time. I mean, sadly, I, I think I've only watched it beginning to end once, and I'm not sure I was at a stage in my life to appreciate it. It's it's one that's been on my list to revisit at some point. I don't own a copy of it, oddly enough, when I sent right. you 200 Paul Newman movies that we could choose from for this, this episode. But uh, yeah, it's one I want to take a look at. Uh, it's funny because it's those... Those, those three brothers, I forget their, their names, because they've also been in commercials and stuff, but they they were in this. But what's funny is Paul Newman's deadpan reactions to them. Like, they're, they're just doing these these wacky things. They're, they're playing with their cars. They've got, like, toy cars. And uh, it's uh, Paul Newman's reactions are just, are just hilarious. Like, so, guys, playing with your cars, huh? Okay. So that's funny. Um, I saw this thing. Hanson Brothers, by the way, yes. Hans, the Hanson Brothers, yeah. Getting back to Paul Newman. So he hasn't, you haven't watched a lot of his movies. Mm -hmm. No. Has the impact on you that maybe some other not really no i saw the sting when i was doing because i i did a show called best picture where i did a it was a parody of all the oscar winners so I, that's why i watched so i saw the sting like five or six years ago when i was researching yeah. that but yeah i said i think i said butch cast i never saw and um yeah all those other movies no, no. <laughs> you said you had a, a story about paul newman um, i do uh, about this is probably about 20 years ago i was 
taking acting classes at HB Studios, which is in uh, the village in New York. And they would have free tickets to sometimes to plays. So I got an opportunity to see a play on Broadway. It was called The Price. It was an Arthur Miller show. And uh, it was a revival of The Price. So a friend of mine and I went to see the show, just thinking it was, you know, it was just going to be, we're just going to, we're going to see a Broadway show. Great. But it turned out it was, it was like a premiere almost. So there was all these people there. Meryl Streep was there. I remember seeing Ethan Hawke there. And uh, I was, I remember feeling very underdressed. I was like, I just thought I was going to see a play. I dressed okay. But the weird thing was Paul Newman was there and Paul Newman would position himself in various places in the theater so that you would see him. So when I was walking up the stairs, there's Paul Newman just standing there for everyone to see, you know, walk around the corner. There's Paul Newman. Walk over here. There's Paul Newman. He was just like, he wanted to be seen. I guess he was trying to get more movie work or something like, so he was just put he was basically planning himself in different parts of the of the theater that were well populated, mm-hmm. and and that at intermission um, there was a long line for the men's room, and and Paul Newman positioned himself kind of like center in the room reading the playbill, but it was really clear he wasn't reading the playbill. He was just standing there so that the lineup for the men's room could see Paul <coughs> Newman, but nobody was really approaching him. So I I walked up to him. This is like I said, like like uh, twenty years ago. I said, uh, "Hi, Mr. Newman." Uh, and he's like, "What? What? What?" He was, he was kind of a small, he was shorter than me. He's kind of a small man. Yeah, he was, and he was, this is, of course, he was, he was older. This is probably like the last three years of his life. And um, he's like, what, what? And I said, uh, Mr. Newman, um, I was wondering if you had any advice for a young actor. Because I had actually, I heard a story that Woody Harrelson walked up to him in a supermarket and asked him any, any advice for an actor. And uh, Paul Newman didn't, <laughs> wasn't sure who he was, but he was nice to him. So I asked him, I said, um, so Mr. Newman, do you have any advice for a young actor? And he just looks at me and he goes, good God, no. So I just kind of laughed. <laughs> I don't know what he meant. I think, I don't think he looked at me and thought I couldn't act. I think, I don't know what he thought. Maybe he just thought uh, he just didn't have anything to say on the subject. <laughs> I, and now I think I'm a bigger Paul Newman fan and that might show up in our, the show. I don't know because this is a fresh look at all six. Uh, I had seen, I, there were actually two that were, were new to me that I hadn't seen before. Not new as in uh, age. They're actually some of the older ones, but but uh, most of them I have watched and I followed his career a lot. I, I think part of what I understand of him is he has been very, very hard on himself, quite self-deprecating okay. uh, throughout his career that he doesn't actually know uh, what to do well and he hates most of his performances. And so when he gets that question, he might have been, good God, no, because just he just doesn't know what to tell you about that. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think it's less of a coming from a point of arrogance or anything like that. I think it's maybe more that he's like reaching the end of his life and he's like, I mean, I, I think it was probably, he still was alive for a few more years after yeah. uh, driving, but I think he, he, th- and we'll talk about the roles where I, I think he's, he said there was one of the ones we we're going to be reviewing today where he got it right, but he wasn't saying that a whole lot mm-hmm. on his episode of inside the actor studio. He talked about how bad he was as a young actor. And he was speaking about this one movie in particular. Ellen Burstyn was the uh, president of the actor studio at the time. She was in the audience and she yelled out to Paul Newman, watch it again, Paul. Like kind of saying like, you were really good. You need to know that you were really good. So. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And and she was referring to a movie that he was in? Yeah. One of his earlier movies where he thought oh, he was okay. a pop and... Oh, that's interesting. Uh, too yeah. big. 
and and she thought he had the right the right approach to the movie. I wish I could remember which one it is. I'd have to replay that episode of of Actor Studio to. Uh, well, he just he seemed kind of exasperated when he said it to me. Like, we're just like, good God, no. You know, so, uh, but uh, it's no. something I'll, I'll always remember. But I do. I've I, even though I haven't seen a lot of his movies, I have a lot of admiration for his uh, his long marriage and to uh, John Woodward and and, yeah. and which he was with her that night. And and I know he directed her and some things. And so they seem to have a uh, have a good relationship. And also all his all his work, all his charity work you know which is yeah. really is really amazing used to this day i think his daughter took that that over but I, the other answer i heard to that question about uh people coming up to him and asking him you know what to do if he was with his wife he would say don't ask me ask her because oh, yeah. he, he viewed his wife as the better the better actor he was the movie star but she was the real actor okay. again I don't, i'm not completely sure he became a movie star as it happened but i think he's actually a very very good actor and we yeah. see in these six movies in two of them he plays the same character but just how he could blend into several different genre of film yeah and also the fact he was around i didn't i i guess i was aware of this but i just i've become hyper aware from uh watching all these all these movies that i've you know we're doing movies from the 60s 70s 80s and 90s i mean it was four decades and i think he he was doing movies in the late 50s too i believe he was yeah yeah and we nearly we nearly had a, a movie from the 21st century but uh some of my movies I'm having trouble finding right now, and I, I'm just I'm wondering if maybe I gave away my copy of Empire Falls, but it's uh, oh, we almost did that, yeah. That was a I think that was an HBO yeah. miniseries, right? Yeah. I think it was like two episodes. Yeah. Like five, oh four, oh five, it came out, okay. uh, and that wasn't the last thing that he did. I mean, he he was the voice in the movie Cars, and he he did a few things after that. Plus, he did some late career work on Broadway too. So. Oh, oh, yeah, it was in our town, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. a, a filmed uh, TV version of that as well, okay. where he played the stage manager. Yeah, uh, and his his love of theater, and he was actually quite a a good theater director as well. And he established a, a theater, I believe, in in Connecticut, in the the town he lived in as well, with his wife. Very prolific career for Mr. Paul Newman. A lot of movies, because I have been thinking, like, who's been a movie star the longest? I was thinking, like, currently. Tom Cruise, and I thought, has he been a movie star? Was he a movie star longer than Jack Nicholson? But Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Robert Redford still makes makes movies sometimes, so he would be up there. Justin well. Hoffman and like Nicholson's kind of stopped, but we talked about yeah. Pacino last time with De Niro, you know. Yeah, Pacino, but but Pacino wasn't around in the sixties though. Uh, Nicholson was well, yeah, okay, so they would kind of be Redford. His big break was uh, Butch casting the Sundance Kid with uh, Paul Newman, yeah. which I reviewed uh, in an earlier episode. And that was like sixty nine, I think, right? So I should say before I mentioned the six movies we were going to review. Uh, there will be spoilers for the movies. It tends to happen when, when it's a movie where I feel like the plot twist is really, really dramatic. I try to tell people watch the movie before you listen to my review, just in case, cause I, I, I don't listening back to some of the shows. I really don't want to ruin some of these movies for people. And I would encourage everybody to see the movies we're talking about today, whether you're, you, you like them or don't like them or sort of in between. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say all these movies are worthwhile and some, all of them are worthwhile on some level to see. They're, yeah. they're all quite different. We're, we're, we're going to do a thing a little bit different. Uh, part of it's going to be chronological, but we're going to bookend the show with, one of his most famous characters, Eddie Felton, Fast Eddie Felton, in The Hustler from 1961. 
and we'll end off by reviewing uh, Martin Scorsese's The Color of Money, which, which was a sequel to The Hustler many, many years later. And then in between that, we're going to take a look at a film called Exodus. Quite, quite a heavy subject matter, I would say, a bit of an old Hollywood epic. It was. I yeah. wouldn't have chosen this movie if I knew it was, I was like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> We're going to get into this? Okay. I chose it because it was free and HBO on demand. I'm like, oh, well, that'll serves me right for being cheap. <laughs> no, I, but this is one of the ones I hadn't seen, so I'm glad that you suggested it. I haven't um, seen it either. Um, well, you haven't seen any of them. So, so. Yeah, well, I didn't see any of them. That's right. Yeah, I already revealed that. Yes. <laughs> then we'll look, we're going to look at a Hollywood big budget disaster movie from the 70s, The Towering Inferno, all star cast for that particular time. I'd say still for this time, but maybe uh, younger audience members won't recognize some of the names that we end up mentioning with that one. Uh, then we're going to look at, we're going to jump to the 80s, 1982's The Verdict. Uh, we talked about Sidney Lumet last time. We also talked about David Mamet, both involved with uh, The Verdict. Then we're going to jump up to the 90s, 1998, a detective movie called Twilight. So this Twilight should not be confused with the teen vampire, which... <laughs> I think there are a lot of disappointed uh, youngsters out there who rented the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they look at the cover now, and I think it'd be true. harder to find this one than there is than the vampire one as it, as it happens. But Twilight from 1998, then, as I said, we'll end off with The Color of Money. troubles and I think maybe you've got troubles maybe it'd be better if we just leave each other alone Check and I know it. You're hanging on by your nails. 
Let that glory whistle ring out loud and clear for Eddie, and you're a wreck on a railroad track. Your horse had finished last. Now, don't make trouble, Miss Ladybug. Live and let live. While you can. You tell your boys, they better kill me, Bert. They better go all the way with me. Because if they just bust me up, put all those pieces back together again, and then so help me. So help me, God, Bert. I'm gonna come back here and I'm gonna kill you. One of the early Paul Newman success stories was playing Fast Eddie Felsen in a movie called The Hustler, uh, which is about a young man who has a real talent for playing pool. Uh, he starts off traveling around with uh, his business partner and scamming people in uh, local pool halls. But he goes to the big city because he wants to take on the best pool player in the world, Minnesota Fats, played by the great Jackie Gleason, famous for The Honeymooners. It's great to see him in this movie because it's a more serious role than The Honeymooners, but it showed his range as an actor, I think, very much. And was the hun- uh, was things the- kind of... Oh, uh, was The Honeymooners still on at this point, or was it was it over? I, I didn't look at the years of The Honeymooners. I don't know what off, off the top of my head, but people, I think, would... Maybe more people would have known uh, Jackie Gleason than Paul Newman at this particular time. Oh, really? Um, okay. But yeah, it's interesting to see like a, a sitcom actor, basically, uh, is what he was known for uh, in a strong supporting uh, role here. Maybe a character role, but uh, a, a good role nonetheless. Things go bad for uh, Fast Eddie Felton, and he's almost in a I hate to use this analogy, but a Rocky-esque type of a story here about trying to pick things up after things have gone bad for him to return to the ring, to return to the pool hall, to take on Minnesota Fats once again to prove which one of them is the best pool player. And that's the general synopsis. A a couple actors that are very much worth noting. Piper Laurie plays uh, Newman's love interest. Very unusual performance. uh, in many ways. Piper Laurie, to horror fans, would uh, she would be known as Carrie's mother from uh, Brian De Palma and Stephen King's uh, movie Carrie. Oh, oh, is that her? That's her, yeah. Wow, yeah. okay. Younger version of her. And uh, as well, we have... George C. Scott, who is this guy who manages gamblers, takes a lot of their money. He plays, and uh, his character's name is Burt Gordon. And there's a certain moral ambiguity to this guy throughout the film until you sort of realize what he's all about, which uh, a, a lot of these themes play in uh, the sequel that we'll talk about later. So I cards on the table, I love The Hustler. I think it's one of Paul Newman's best performances, but this was your first crack at The Hustler. What do you think? It was. And first of all, I should, I, I should have that Piper Laurie, I think from watching all these movies, I got my blonde women mixed up. Hitchcock blonde. She wasn't a Hitchcock blonde though. There's a there's a, another movie we're going to talk about where there was a Hitchcock. There's a Hitchcock blonde in 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 uh, Exodus, right? Oh yes, and that yep. woman. Yep. Yes. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah, I got these people mixed up, but yes, uh, Piper Laurie was also in Twin Peaks, I think, right? Did I think so. Just look that up. Well, uh, yeah. What well, you, you think about the movie? Yeah. Okay. And I also looked up the Honeymooners. According yeah. to Wikipedia, yeah, the, uh, yeah Twin Peaks. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, the Honeymooners was only on from 1955 to 50. 
86. But okay. After this, yeah. Yeah, this is after the Honeymooners. Yes, The Hustler. Well, I love George C. Scott's performance in it. I thought he was great. I like that scene where he's just, in, when he's first introduced and he's just watching Paul Newman and Paul Newman says, you know, could you move your chair? So he moves it like an inch over. Yeah. <laughs> so there was uh i thought it was a beautiful looking movie also the <laughs> black and white the way the shadows were just the whole way the movie was shot was really amazing i because i wasn't i i was familiar with the hustler but i didn't know what was what was going to happen in the story even though i had seen piper Laurie's name in the credits i guess that slipped my mind and i was thinking because it's very early in the in the movie playing the pool game with minnesota fats and i i thought is this going to be the whole movie it's a long sequence yeah in a way it could have i mean in in some way, they, it, it could have been because this the the pacing of the movie was so deliberately slow that I think they that it was it was possible that's what could have happened. But yeah, I, I think on the whole, it was it was it was a beautiful movie. A little bit it was as I said, it was very it was very slow pace, so that took a little getting used to. For for twenty twenty audiences, I think that might be a drawback. If I was to try to recommend mm-hmm. this movie to younger audiences, or if there's somebody who's interested in pool, but the pool scenes are fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Beautifully shot. When we get to the color of money, I, I I couldn't help but compare the two. And I might be in the minority, but I actually really love how they were shot in the Hustler even more than in the Color of Money, where they had more tricks and techniques and another twenty five years of technology a little bit more on their side uh, in that mm-hmm. film. I, I was watching it to see like like are they really making these shots? Like how's it like how's it cut? Uh, you know the way the editing is. How, like are they really making the shots? I know in in, in the Hustler. It looked like a lot of the a lot of it. They may not have been making the shots. And then I read that there was there was like an expert uh, pool player there who was making some of the shots. But then in the color of money, I did notice they were they definitely were making a lot of them. I also learned that there's a difference between pool and billards. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's different games. Yeah. I, I think Newman. You know how Tom Cruise does all his own stunts and all of that stuff. Yeah, that was a a lot of Paul Newman's influence because Paul Newman was quite committed to, you know, there'd be some things which would be pretty difficult for him to do for the shots, but he tried to learn how to make as many trick shots as he possibly could so that okay. he didn't have to do that cutting away from him. And that, and, and and he kept in that vein throughout his career, I think. And so he did learn how to play pool, and I think he was a pretty good pool player, um, as it turned out. What, what do you think about the romance? I thought the romance was, um, it was interesting. So it starts at the bus station. They're, they're both hanging out at a bus station because they don't have anywhere else, else to go. And then she's kind of hustling him in a way also so yeah it was it was all very uh, all the characters were uh, very strong in this the romance isn't a hollywood type of romance in any way shape or form you know you would often see a romance tacked onto a story like this it's an odd comparison have you ever seen leaving las vegas yes a long yeah. time ago yeah which is a love story among many other things but it's not a happy love story it's quite dark and there are flaws in both characters. I kept thinking about this time around, kept thinking about that in kind of a 1961 context. Uh, I mean, okay. there's a lot of stuff to push the censors uh, with this movie. There is definitely the suggestion that Piper Laurie's has been a prostitute at, at times just to survive. Okay. And what happens in the third act to her, it, it just does not wrap up in the way that you would expect. It's not like Rocky where uh, Adrian is in the corner there and uh, at the end and ready to greet Rocky after his great triumph. And even the whatever triumph there is in this film doesn't feel like a triumph. 
Yeah, it's um, yeah. I guess it, it it leaves a lot open to the, to the imagination as to what she's up to. I didn't. It didn't cross my mind that she was a prostitute, but that made sense because she was she was quote unquote going to school or she was she was taking classes two days a week. But it wasn't really clear exactly what what, what she was up to. I thought it was interesting about the movie, and this this is a uh, something else for me to absorb. But it was the idea of like, is he is Eddie a loser or is he a winner? You know, and then what kind of what what determines that? George C. Scott keeps calling him a loser. Yeah, well, and then is and. Uh, Pepper Laurie says he's a winner, but then it comes down to the game too, because George C. Scott, like the way he, he describes, I forget. There's there's an interesting thing about luck, like if you're a good player, and I think they they revisit this in the uh, Color of Money. It's like even if you're a good player, there's a certain amount of luck you have to have or lack of luck. It was it was just it was interesting commentary, which I'm not, uh, which I'm still absorbing, so I'm not articulating uh, extremely well, but. It kind of went back and forth because he was called a loser. Jersey Scott called him a loser, and yet he took, you know, he invested in him as well. And I don't know, like, you think it's kind of like this coaching type of thing, this negative motivation. I'm not a loser, and that's, I'm going to prove to you I'm not a loser by winning all the time. And then we all make lots of money. But maybe uh, I thought, I felt like it was something deeper than that. Yeah, yeah, it is deeper than that. Yeah. Like, that's what you think it is initially when you're watching it. But then it, it's a real power play between Scott trying to own Newman in many ways. Ways, but Newman right. not wanting to be owned, and what what Scott does again in that same third act when they go on the road to try to some win some big money, and Piper Laurie goes along. Before we're just like, what can we make of this this guy? And we learn at that time what we what he's all about. And when all is said and done in this thing, I don't think George C. Scott is is scathed. Right. Men of Minnesota Fats, maybe a little bit. Definitely Felson is scathed. He's he's triumphant in one way, but then he's he's hurt in another way by the end. And there's this just a it's a it's about a perfect ending. I'll be criticizing some of the movies for their endings, but this is mm-hmm. one where it was it was a terrific ending, a great long shot at the end with the credits, where we just hear the sounds of the pool hall and looks like this interesting tableau where newman leaves and everybody kind of goes back to doing what they were doing in the pool hall the pool hall will stay there and will still be in place after this major, major event has happened that people will talk about for, for years. Mm-hmm. What does he say about luck? Remember he says the Jersey Scott tells us something about luck. Like, is he, is he lucky or is he not lucky or part of his like along the lines of him calling him a loser, but I don't remember exactly what, what it was, but it was, uh, I don't know, it was interesting. Oh, it had to do with character. Okay. Yeah. He kept talking about that uh, Minnesota Fats has more character in his pinky fin- finger than Felson has in his entire body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why spoilers for the first act of the film, but that's why uh, Minnesota Fats wins. Okay. So there's points when he wins, when he loses uh, throughout, and that Fast Eddie Felton needs to develop some character, and the the whole story is about him developing character uh, in the most horrible way possible. But by the end of the film, he has character, and he is able to then become and be known as the best pool player, even better than Minnesota Fats. I, I like the performances. Newman does a nice job because by this point he's like this good looking movie star and he plays up that that arrogance really well as part mm-hmm. of the hospital but also part of the character yet I don't feel annoyed by him somehow I'm on side with him and, and I cheer for him which is not necessarily the case with another performance we'll talk about where that sort of thing is trying to be conveyed so right balance of that where Newman could balance the actor and the movie star really well I thought I really think Gleason's role is one I, I, I really like I kind of think he maybe should have been up for an Academy Award for this performance. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of screen time. Scott has more screen time, but I every time I watch a Jackie Gleason's performance really, really sticks with me. 
And Piper Laurie, it was so, so so unique. I can't quite pinpoint uh, that character because it just does not fit in uh, a typical Hollywood movie. Yeah. Yeah, it does leave a lot open to, to the imagination also. So it's, uh, yeah. No, it's it's a it's a beautiful movie. I mean, for anybody, especially anyone else who's interested in just uh, photography or cinematography, it's really amazing. Yeah, beautiful black and white. See, I I really love the Hustler. I'll return to that one, that movie, a, a lot uh, among the many movies that Paul Newman made. I think it's a bit a little bit of a masterpiece. Otto Preminger presents Exodus, the biggest bestseller since Gone with the Wind. Read by more than 50 million around the world. Now on the screen, an epic of our time, the birth of a nation. With Paul Newman as Harry Ben Kanan, Eva Marie Saint as Kitty Fremont, Ralph Richardson as General Sutherland, Peter Lawford as Major Caldwell, Lee J. Cobb as Barack Ben Kanan, Sal Mineo as Dub Lando, John Derek as Taha, and introducing Jill Haworth as Karen. Every scene filmed where it actually took place on the island of Cyprus and in Israel. I'm 15 years old now, Doc. I'm not little anymore. You shouldn't have come here in the first place. But, Doc, you're always fighting. And you're always in a place where you might be killed. And if anything should happen to you before I told you how much I love you, I just wouldn't want to live anymore. Please love me, Doc. I'm not afraid. Life magazine says Otto Preminger's film Exodus goes beyond the book as a tale told in proud passion. I will not take him back to Caroles. He'll go to Palestine with me. Or right here on this ship we will die together. The New York Times says the best blockbuster of the year, dazzling, eye-filling, nerve-tingling, rips the heart. You can't fight the whole British Empire with 600 people. It isn't possible. How many Minutemen did you have at Concord the day they fired the shot heard around the world? I don't know. 77. Time magazine says, a terrific show. A serious, expert, frightening, and inspiring thriller. You heard what I said! Fight! Not beg! Fight! <laughs> Exodus. The Chicago Tribune says, a tremendous picture. The Los Angeles Examiner says, terrific impact and fury. The Dallas Herald says, a superb candidate for the Hall of Screen Greats. The Boston Traveler says, magnificent. The Miami Beach Sun says, stands head and shoulders above all others. The Cleveland Plain Dealer says, one of the great films of all time. Exodus. In 1960, so uh, about a year before The Hustler came out, is Exodus. And Exodus is directed by Otto Preminger. It is an epic Hollywood film. Uh, it's about the founding of the state of Israel. It starts off with a ship filled with Jewish immigrants who are bound for Israel and are being loaded off 
loaded onto Cyprus. An intelligence officer played by Paul Newman succeeds in getting them back on board the ship, only to have the harbor blocked by the British. And then they have to negotiate with the British to let them through, which is a big, big chunk of the film, but that's only the first act of this. Second part of the film is about the situation in Israel as independence is declared and most of their neighbors attack them. And then we're looking at very much the, the Palestine-Israel conflict in history mixed in with the British trying to have control in the Middle East. It is a big, big, big film. Uh, Paul Newman is indeed the lead, but we have several actors in here. Eva Marie Saint, I think is who you're thinking of. Um, yeah, she was yeah. in a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. She's a love interest. I, I'll get to that in a minute. When I talk about a, a good love story or a more realistic one in the last movie, uh, I'm not crazy about this one, to be honest with you. But she's an American who meets this extraordinary young Jewish girl uh, who's stuck in Cyprus and wants to take her back to America and kind of raise her as a daughter. We have Ralph Richardson, a very uh, well-respected British, classical British actor, who plays General Sutherland in here. Peter Lawford, who was uh, part of the Rat Pack, plays Major Cald Caldwell. I'm always happy to see Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb shows up as Brock Ben Cannon. Sal Mineo got an Academy Award nomination, playing uh, Dove Landau, who's a very, very young Jewish man who's very angry and wants to join the fight as soon as he gets to Israel to battle the Arab nation. Those are kind of the main actors, but there, there, there's a ton of ton of them. I, I wanted to find the name of the young girl as well. She, she was quite good. I might have written down her name in a different set of notes here. Uh, it'll, it'll come to me in a bit. But I'll look it up on Wikipedia. There's a lot to like, but it is an exhausting film. I think I was yeah. more engaged in the first act than I was at any other point. And so it kind of falls to the lower end of the, the six that we're talking about today. Unfortunately, yet I think it's a very, very important film in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people might be quite upset if I was to dismiss the film. Um, well, yeah, it's a little bit, I don't know if I'd say problematic. I um, I appreciate, I, I've never even heard of this movie, but I'm happy that I saw it from an historical perspective. I don't know a tremendous amount about the founding of the modern state of, uh, of, of Israel. I believe that would be the right terminology to say. Um, so it was interesting to get sort of a, a beginning education of that. I think that it would help if you know a lot about that history before seeing this movie, because it's not, it doesn't seem to be like a beginner's primer. <laughs> it seems like you have to have some, maybe have some information before going in. But, but I watched this movie and I'm, 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 I'm very aware it's uh, something that I would like to, uh, that I should learn more of. But also in terms of movie history, this was a movie that was written by Dalton Trumbo. The yes. screenplay was written by Dalton Trumbo, who uh, the audience may have seen the movie Trumbo with uh, Brian Cranston a couple years ago. But uh, Dalton Trumbo was a blacklisted writer in Hollywood. And Otto Preminger hired him, I think, around the same time he was also hired for uh, Spartacus. And so... So this movie was one of the um, was one of the defining moments of ending the blacklist. So it's all, so there's a history, film history there also. So I'm, I'm happy. So I'm happy I saw from a historical uh, perspective, telling a history story as well as as being part of Hollywood history. Also, Otto Otto Preminger played Mister Freeze on the Batman series. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> strange career. And he directed, I was curious if you ever saw this movie. He directed a movie called Skidoo. You ever see, that's supposed to be a really weird, like a, it's, it's like a 60s counterculture movie. It's, it's the very last movie Groucho Marx was ever in. And I think Jackie Gleason may have been in it as well. Skidoo. But I've just, I've heard that's a weird experience. The, uh, well, this is a weird little, this is a weird note that I wrote, but there was um, the score. There's, there's one part of the score that plays all throughout the movie that sounds like the song The End by The Doors. It just went like, dun, 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 I was like, that's The End by The Doors. They play that all throughout the movie. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I was like, because I was like, where have I heard that before? If I heard that, I was like, oh, I know. It's The End by The Doors. I didn't pinpoint that. It, it actually won the Academy Award for music score. That was, uh, it, I think it won, it was up for three Oscars and that's uh, that's one that it won. I wanted to, sorry, I found the name of uh, this young girl, Jill Hayworth, who played this young Jewish girl who, uh, you know, she, she knows a lot more what's going on and she develops a little bit of a romance with the Salminio character and is really trying to talk him out of getting involved with rebellion and military because they've already been through so much due to the Holocaust. I think she does a nice job. In fact, I I might even controversially venture to say that she gives the best performance in the movie. Well, my Paul Newman in this film, I think they, I don't think he was, um, I think they could have made the movie with a different actor. I mean, I thought he was fine, but I got the impression that he was, he seemed a little out of of place sometimes in there. And it seemed a little bit like he was there to get the movie made. Like they need a movie star. So sure, we'll take Paul Newman. I know he was playing a Jewish man. Paul Newman is, in real life, he he wasn't raised Jewish, but his mother was Jewish. And I think, as I understand it, it's it's through your mother that you are yeah that you are considered Jewish. So yeah, he was yeah. Lots of people had him as kind of Irish. I think because he would play a lot of almost Irish Catholic characters. Right. I mean, but I he, thought he was. I thought he was. Fine, but I wouldn't. If you know, the takeaway from this, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be like, oh, Paul Newman is like out of this world. It didn't seem like an extraordinary performance. It's not like there's a. Well, we're, we're going to talk about the verdict. Watching that, now that was that was a real, very impressive performance. And that's not something that I, I think anybody could do. But this one, I this one, I think that they, um, many different actors could have played this role, and it would have been fine. Yeah, not, he certainly was. It's certainly he certainly wasn't like. It's not a Paul Newman like Exodus. You, you can't really call it a Paul Newman movie. There's so much else. Going going on an ensemble film yeah but when we get to towering inferno that's also an ensemble film it's not a, a starring vehicle for paul right. newman yeah even that there was there was some paul newman personality there was there was some sort of a what would be the word as i understand it exodus the the uh the source material the book this was a a really well-read popular book okay. and, and and so I, I think they were wanting it to be a big release and they wanted a big name in the film. And and they were looking for somebody who was American to play that role that would have be able to, to garner some, some attention and, and having Newman in there. I, I think he has his moments where he's very good when he's like, He's quite headstrong and focused on his mission. And when he has to get upset uh, and uh, be forceful, I think that that's kind of the best of Paul Newman's performance in there. It's not the, I don't think it's uh, in the same league as some of his other performances, but he did serve the story really well. Uh, I don't think he was uh, a guy who was all about himself. I think he would play the character and serve whatever role he was given uh, to the best of his abilities. And I I, I think he, he does a good job. You're right, though. I mean, I think it's a role that a lot of people could have played. Yeah. There might have been a whole bunch of people in line for that uh, for that job, but Perminger went with uh, Newman. Well, he was a pretty big. I guess this was a year before the, the Hustler, but he was he was a substantial movie star, right? At that point, yeah. I mean, he must have been. Yeah, I think for it might have still been 
been one of those things for like uh, as being a good looking yeah good looking guy like the kind of the early 90s for brad pitt when he was getting some some movie work okay. uh, people didn't fully realize that besides being a good looking guy he's actually one hell of a good actor and right. um maybe people were just starting to 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 realize that or catch up to that and the, the hustler the next year helped them out with that going forward i i knew that the the romance was going to be a thing like i was kind of happy for most of it that we had a female character who wasn't just all about the the leading man and actually had something to do but then no doubt in the second act this kitty fremont played by eva marie saint who's a good actor uh, i think she's a good actor i think she's maybe a notch better than newman in the movie to be honest but the fact that we had to have this romance in here i i think that's something that could have been cut out of the film and we wouldn't have lost anything right i i thought that sal minio was uh very good in the movie that scene where he starts admitting what part that he played in auschwitz interrogation scene where he's going to you know he wants to sign up and volunteer for the and i don't know the exact term i do apologize for listeners I'm going to say Israeli army or or Israeli rebels, but the, they put him through hell uh, in that interrogation to get to the truth of, of what he's actually done and how he survived the war. That's the best scene in the movie. I think it was. Yeah, that was, that was a very strong scene. Yeah. Hands down, this, the, the whole sequence of trying to get out of Cyprus is really interesting to me. But that scene as a standalone scene was the best scene in the movie. I just wish everything that happened around that in the second and third act was as interesting as that one right. scene was. It was a nomination-worthy performance, I suppose. Yeah. I, again, I'm... I think we could say... I, I think I would say the movie was was uh, kind of uneven also because there was a lot... Because, you know, the whole movie could have been about that ship and then it's that and there's a big prison break and, you know, it's... Oh, lots of stuff. Oh. There was so much going on that it didn't really... It was more of like a chunk of history as opposed to a cohesive story, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. Um, I was... I thought it was interesting the way the way a lot of the scenes were staged. It was staged... Some, many the scenes were staged like a theater piece where you'd have two actors were two actors were talking and then another actor would enter as if they just entered from stage left mm -hmm. and there were also long takes also i i think it was where film was at at the time it was okay there, yeah there were, uh, I, i've got into this with other guests with some older movies and sometimes been criticizing the older movies for perhaps the movements a little bit static or not quite as cinematic but i i do think most actors were still coming from the stage and yeah. Yeah. The directors were coming from the stage. Preminger was considered a little bit of a visionary, a bit of an auteur. So, so it's a yeah. little bit of a surprise in, in some ways. But I think it was still the time that that film was in at, at, at that point. Okay, that makes sense. And there was a lot, the, the, while it was happening, there'd be a lot going on in the background. I know there was one scene where it was one of those long scenes where there's like uh, three characters, like uh, as if they're on the stage, but then there was a lot of stuff. But then the, the camera's still moving around. You could see the, see the army tanks going by in the window yeah. outside. So it was a, a lot of production. Yeah. Oh, there was one scene where there was like must have been thousands of people, and this yeah. was before like CGI. You know where they could. So they, I don't. They, I don't know if they hired that many extras or just found all those people, but it was epic. It was. I think they described yeah. it, it was described as a Zionist epic. That that would be a fair, yeah, fair characterization, yeah. I guess. Not my yeah. words. I looked that I mean, up on Wikipedia. It was a Zionist. No, epic. Yeah. It's <laughs> no sixty-year-old movie, so I, I I do get the vibe from it that they were thinking it was going to be like a big academy award winning film with 10 mm -hmm. to 12 nominations 
And it, it was not necessarily that. And I think it might be what whatever happened in the interpretation from the book, or if they were trying to be too faithful to the book, and, and there were all these incidents, and they were trying to pack them into this movie, and it feels a bit uneven. And maybe that's why we are both getting a little bit of a mixed feeling from it. Because I, I thought, I'm going to be watching this, and, oh, this will be way bigger and way more important than some of the movies I had seen previously, which are uh, huge favorites of mine, like The Hustler and Spoiler when we get to the verdict but but the subject matter is so much bigger not that pool players aren't and gambling isn't important but it's much more important themes in this movie but i'm left less satisfied with this film way less satisfied than i am with with the hustler but i still think you know if you like the old golden age of hollywood big epic films i i think this is one that's worth seeing lots of uh faces um of yesteryear in there and i i think on the whole I, I don't really blame the actors at any point. Maybe uh, maybe it's a little bit the screenplay and, and the adaptation of it, as much as I don't want to criticize Dalton Trombo because he went through a he lot. Just got, he just found a, he just got some work, and you're bringing him down. This poor guy. But he wrote Spartacus. And just got off the blacklist. His name was on Spartacus. And Spartacus, Spartacus will always, will always have that. That's a classic. Anything else you want to say about Exodus? No, I think that's it, except there was a scene where there was Strudel, and I was very uh, impressed by that. And, and then they were going to run off. She says, I'll wrap up your Strudel for you. I was like, oh, I would definitely take that wrapped up Strudel. So I just wrote in my, my notes, I wrote the word Strudel. <laughs> that was your favorite scene in the movie, was the Strudel scene. I think it was. I, I connected. The interrogation scene. <laughs> Different strokes for different folks. Yeah, well, those are the, yeah, definitely the top two. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The towering inferno. It's out of control. And it's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of. The Towering Inferno. Steve McQueen. Paul Newman. William Holden. Faye Dunaway. Fred Astaire. Susan Blakely. Richard Chamberlain. Jennifer Jones. O.J. Simpson. Robert Vaughn. And Robert Wagner. The Towering Inferno. Those people are going to die up there. Something's not done. Watch me out of here. You can stop worrying about me. What about me down there worrying about you? I'll never let you go anywhere without me again. I'll be back with the whole fire department. The Towering Inferno. Set me down on the scenic elevator. Now, the producer of the Poseidon Adventure brings you more spectacle, more stars, more suspense than you've ever seen in one motion picture. Steve McQueen is the fire chief. Paul Newman is the architect. Step by step, floor by floor, this is a race against time to save hundreds of people trapped in a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. Inferno.
There was a movie in uh, in the early 1970s called Airport, which had an enormous influence on cinema because, you know, they'll, they'll take an idea and then they'll copy it in, in different situations. But very much the, the disaster film came out of the 1970s in Hollywood. And it would usually, all these different ones, Earthquake, would have these just amazing A-list all-star casts. And in 1974, The Towering Inferno came out. It was a who's who cast about this giant structure, which is the tallest building in the world, which has been put together by an architect played by Paul Newman. And they're going to have the big opening gala event right at, near the top of, of this tower. And Paul Newman discovers that there are some problems with the wiring because the person in charge of this hired his son-in-law, who skimped on some of the the electrical and the wiring and there's a real fire risk and fires indeed start popping up all over the place when all of these people are stuck in this tower I don't think this movie would be made anymore. Unfortunately, at times, as much as I was having a good time watching this, because it is a very entertaining movie, sometimes my mind went to 9-11. Uh, and I don't know if that's fair or not, but there are scenes with people having to jump out of this tower, which were right. just too close to home, uh, I think. But again, in 1974, they didn't know that that future event was going to happen. And they were just making an entertaining disaster film with some great actors. You could sort of intersperse it was i'm sure there was a little bit of a who gets the leading uh, title here so they kind of did had them both on the screen we have paul newman playing doug roberts and then steve mcqueen plays the fire chief a lot of this movie is the celebration of firefighters and dedicated to firefighters uh, all over and they have steve mcqueen who is arguably an even bigger movie star than than paul newman at that time and these two great actors as the leads in the film but we have a, an actor i absolutely love william Hol holden faye dunaway fred astaire richard chamberlain jennifer jones controversial figure i don't know if we'd call him a movie star but oj simpson appears in the movie robert Vaughn, Robert Wagner, controversial character, but also he was a movie star at one time, among many other people in this film. And it, it's a lot of fun. It's great. I, I was thoroughly entertained the whole time. I didn't have to think too deeply about it like I had to with Exodus and some of the themes of the other movies. So it, it was kind of a nice diversion in this group of six. So I, I have some criticisms of it, of course, as I do for all these movies, but I, I was surprised. This was a first uh, pass at the Towering Inferno and I was amazed how much I enjoyed it. Oh, you hadn't seen it before? I hadn't seen it before, no. Okay. First. You, you left out two actors. Mike Lookinland, who played Bobby on The Brady Bunch, was in this movie. Oh, yeah. He was doing something. And um, Dabney Coleman had a role in this, too. So Dabney, shout, out, shout out to Dabney Coleman. Yeah. I was uh, I was dreading. Of, of course, I'm aware of the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure in those movies. But mm -hmm. they just the idea of those movies just turned me off. And I don't... I just never wanted to see a big bloated disaster version of it's a mad, 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 mad world, you know? Uh, so the idea of it always turned me. I remember the SCTV version of um, Towering Inferno. But so I've been avoiding this movie for years. And once again, I got stuck with this because this was free on HBO, which I already pay for. So I was kind of dreading it. But I also, but I surprisingly enjoyed it. I think the. Um, the most bizarre thing is there's a popular screenwriting book the last couple of years. It's called Save the Cat. It's about a screenwriting structure. And in this movie, O.J. Simpson actually saves a cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's weird. Uh, so I don't know if they – no, they, they couldn't have realized years, years later how that was going to look. O.J. No. Simpson is literally saving a cat. Yeah.
does. He seems like a pretty good guy. He's a just basically. Well, Chase, do you think he's a good guy? guy. Oh, you mean the movie? Okay. The security guy that goes uh, over, <laughs> over and and above. I mean, I think O.J. Simpson was kind of trying to do a bit of a Jim Brown thing yeah. and post football start to have a movie career and acting career yeah. and. I mean, really, I mean, he appeared in, um, it's not just the naked gun that he appeared in. I mean, he appeared in this, he appeared in Roots. He he had kind of a legit uh, filmography for a while there. And he's not bad in the movie. You know, I, I think he's, it's just extraordinary to me to see uh, O.J. Simpson in a scene with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman and Fred Astaire, the great song and dance man. All of these actors from these different walks of life put in this thing into this towering inferno is something else. There's genuine thrills in this movie. There's genuine suspense. I mean, I for a movie from 1974, for me to feel danger and unease and then i'm not watching it in a movie theater i'm watching it on my television and some of the special effects and the fire effects i think for the time uh were really really good yeah it is like i i watched this movie and i think how do they i'm sure if we if we, if we talk to a special effects person they'd have the answer but how do you even how do you even film these fires and make it safe you know, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And I also don't, I personally am not a big fan of elevators. And this movie right. was just full of elevators. People just, the place, the building's on fire. So yeah, I was freaked out watching this. Like the, the elevator scenes are just as terrifying as being like this fire jutting out of these various rooms. And yeah, and there's something spectacular. They weren't afraid to kill off some other movie stars. They pretty much had to. And some spectacular deaths. I mean, Robert Wagner's is epic. He's he spends a great chunk of the movie where he's having this this tryst with a, a secretary and this one office or whatever. And what he tries to do to try to save her and, and get help is is quite heroic. I, I don't know if I want to mention the controversy because for years they aren't sure whether uh, Robert Wagner was involved with killing Natalie Wood, who was his wife. And uh, so. I believe 1980 is when she disappeared. All this mystery that she was on this ship with Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken, of all people. But walking, in yeah. Wagner's career, I don't think there was a time when he was a little bit of a movie star and never quite took off. But I, I can't really fault anybody in this movie. I have two criticisms. I don't think, like, Faye Dunaway, and this was the like in her prime. I mean, she was after uh, Bonnie and Clyde, and was this this was the, the, came out the same year as Chinatown, and she was a couple of years away from uh, Network. Wow. Oh, this is before Network. Okay. Yeah, because it has because yeah. William Holden is also in this. Yeah, because William Holden and her are both in Network, and that's something I was thinking about throughout. She doesn't have a whole lot to do other than to be Paul Newman's girlfriend. Right. And, I mean, she tries to stick it out and try to organize all of these people in this great panic, but it wasn't really much of a role for her. It's not her fault. She did her the best she could with it, but it, it just wasn't that much for her to do. The, the other piece was the son-in-law character, who I believe is played by Richard Chamberlain. Is so two-dimensional. Right. I mean, he 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 is a villain from start to finish. He caused all of this, and then he he does. I don't quite understand why he does everything that he does. I mean, he's trying to like knock over women and children so that he can be saved at points. He knows that various things are dangerous, but he goes and does them anyway. Like he's been told this area down here, if you go down here, that's where the flaming fire is. But for some stupid reason, he goes running down there anyway, comes back and is, 
you know, covered in smoke and soot. And then it said, well, like, we have to be careful with this rig to get us, get us across. And he and a bunch of idiots start charging to jump onto it and causing right. sort of means of rescue for uh, the remaining people up there. And he's one of these guys you cheer for his death. Yeah, he, he didn't think things through. But I, I think they, they actually did a good job of trying to give dimensions to almost all of these characters and balancing out this ensemble. But why was this guy this this stupid and, and this selfish? I mean, it, it's not explained at any point. And you, you don't no. get why the uh, the daughter, who seems like a reasonable person, ever fell in love with this guy. That's what I was surprised. After he, uh, Richard Chamberlain, spoiler alert, he crashes to his death. I thought the daughter might be a little happy that he's gone. Like, what redeeming qualities does this guy have? I, it's a mystery to me. It, and I, I don't understand why his, his father-in-law protects him for so much of the film until he's so publicly and overtly an idiot. Anyway, I mean, those are minor points, I guess, in a, a big budget action Maybe. disaster film from the mid-70s. Maybe it was like Roger and Jessica Rabbit. He he made her laugh. That's that's why she liked having him around. He makes me laugh. <laughs> Those were in the deleted scene. He made her laugh. He didn't oh. make me laugh, but that's, no, 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 he wasn't. But maybe on the when he's off screen, he's he's a real jokester. This was the highest grossing movie. This was the highest grossing movie of 1974. Yeah. I was I I was struck by those chairs because uh, for those who haven't seen the movie, though the fire. So these people are stuck on like the top floor, yeah. and so the firemen get on a they get on another skyscraper that's nearby, yeah. and then they get like a, a wire. They're able to bring a wire from one skyscraper to another with a chair hanging on it, and the chair seemed like it was specially designed for this purpose. <laughs> I'm thinking, who's in that business? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, when is there a demand? <laughs> how much? How much of a demand are, are they for, these, for, for chairs that go from one building to another on a wire in case of a fire? I, I thought one chair has got to cost about a million dollars because that's the only way that business is going to stay afloat. They're going to sell one every twenty years. Is it, this was not a um, this was not a plan A or a plan B in 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 the San Francisco Fire Department's vision of how to deal with the situation. So. <laughs> There's amazing stuff, helicopter rescues that go terribly wrong, big explosions. I'm not normally a guy who loves this type of movie, but that's that's what blew me away is how much I enjoyed it. I mean, it was... I would recommend it to to anybody. You know, I would say like if you are particularly sensitive to claustrophobia, fear of fire, fear of heights, or if you were projecting like I was, I tried not to projecting the kind of the nine eleven thing that that might be yeah. a term of this film. But as a movie on its own, I I I think it's great. I I thought it might have been like you towards the bottom of this group of six, but it's it's actually quite a bit higher than I would have imagined. Yeah, it was. I was. I in enjoyed it and as far as Paul Newman I thought he was good Steve McQueen's another actor I've not seen a lot of his work to be honest that might be another actor to explore and yeah. in terms of 9-11 I, I didn't think about 9-11 I was watching it I, I, I wouldn't you know criticize the towering inferno because of an event that happened Right, yeah, it's oh, just harder to watch now. Just as seeing, just as watching OJ in the movie is, is a little strange. The OJ stuff might distract yeah. some people for a while. I was surprised how it didn't. It's an impressive uh, achievement for because it wasn't actually that original, but just they put the right pieces together. Enjoyed it quite a bit. His name is Frank Galvin. Four cases in the last three years. He's lost them all. He drinks. This man's scared to death to go to court. Frankie, listen to me, cause I'm done with you. I got you a good case. It's a moneymaker. The archdiocese called up because the case is coming to trial. This is our chance to get away. I'm going to see that you get that chance. Court exists to give them 
a chance at justice. And is that what you're going to do? Maybe I can do something right. It's a generous offer, Mr. Galvin. I just heard someone offer you 200 grand. When I walk out that door, the offer is withdrawn. What are you, nuts? I can win it. I can win this case. But what are you going to do? I need your help. To do what? They killed her. I'm trying to buy it. I said to you, know what you did? No, did. Take it easy. And I got to find out from the other side that they offered $200,000. I can subpoena you, you know. Well, maybe you just better do that then. I had a witness disappear on me, Your Honor. You should have taken their offer. I have no sympathy for you. We're going to lose. Listen, the damn case doesn't start before tomorrow, and already it's over for you. It is over. I can't invest in failure, Frank, anymore. Push me into court five days early. I lose my star witness, and I can't get a continuance, and I don't care. I'm going up there, I'm going to try it, I'm going to let the jury decide. All rise! Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, all persons having anything to do before the Honorable, the Justices of the Superior Court, now sitting in Boston, within and for the County of Suffolk. Draw near, give your attendance, and you shall be heard. So we're now uh, moving up to uh, 1982, and so Fast Eddie Felsen is an iconic character played by Paul Newman. I would say Frank Gavlin is the other one of the uh, characters we're talking about uh, among these six movies. Probably not necessarily as as well known. I I feel like The Verdict is a bit of an underrated film, even though it was up for Best Picture, a Newman for Best Actor, and uh, the great Sidney Lumet as a director. Early days with David Mamet, I'm not sure. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross had uh, had appeared or been even written at this point and and so a young David Mamet writes the screenplay here but it, this is a I think the movie that Paul Newman was most proud of in his acting canon, I think this is the one where he may have thought he was going to win the Academy Award, and 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 he didn't. Set in Boston, and it's about basically an ambulance chaser who's pretty hard on his luck, or down on his luck in some ways. He's more of a, a, a bar fly, likes to play pinball, uh, drink a beer, crack a, an egg in that beer for and, and drink it for breakfast, and then go about going around to different funerals that he's found in uh, in the paper uh, and dropping off his card uh, to, to get clients. That's where we meet him and we soon discover there's a case that seems like a slam dunk that he has kind of ignored and about uh, a, a woman who after uh, this botched surgery is now left in a, in a coma and uh, her sister and, uh, and brother-in-law are just wanting to get a settlement and Newman discovers there's a lot more to this case uh, than meets the eye and finally it's almost like a bit of a like he's trying to save his soul with, with, with this this particular case and that is the verdict it features a near perfect performance by Paul Newman we have some wonderful character actors who show up Jack Warden uh, who is the guy who finds some cases and ends up being his his main investigator and helps him out when he decides to actually not accept a plea deal, uh, which could be the biggest mistake of his life. Great performance, probably deserves some Academy Award consideration, or at least nomination consideration from 
uh, James Mason, playing Ed Cannon, who is representing representing the archdiocese, but also the hospital and the, the and the doctors. He's he's a terrific antagonist because he's charming, he's soft spoken, he has this 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 great smile. Milo O'Shea uh, as the judge, he's just one of these great Irish character actors. So every time I see him and stuff, uh, I'm 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 happy about it. Some of the criticisms I'll get to at some point might involve the uh, female lead played by Charlotte. Rampling, playing Laura Fisher, who's this woman that uh, Paul Newman picks up at, at the bar. They start a relationship, and there's, like everything else, there's there's more than meets the eye to this particular character. So, what do you think about Sidney Lumet's The Verdict? Uh, well, I agree. I think this was a this was a great performance by Paul Newman. Yes, I enjoyed this one very much. I know, um, I know you 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 probably enjoyed The Hustler more, but this was out of the six movies I watched. This was my favorite. I, I love I love a good redemption story. This, I got it with this one. Jack Jack Warden is just a great. I, I really appreciated watching him. I think Jack Warden is like the best supporting actor ever, and you figure that's why he was supporting. You see him supporting Paul Newman here. We've seen him uh, support Al Pacino in movies, and then Warren Beatty used him in like three movies. He just really um, he is so good that he makes the he 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 elevates the leading actor's performance <coughs> always. When um, he's there, yeah, yeah. So what, what did you think about James Mason? Well, uh, yeah, James Mason was great. I think he's described his character before we see him. Jack Warden describes him as as like a dark Dark Lord or something like that, and yeah, that I don't I don't remember what else I've seen James Mason is. I assume James Mason is a uh, long deceased. He's, he's an older guy in this movie. Yeah, I think he's um, in the past. Yeah, I don't th- I don't recall what what else has James Mason been in because I know well, one of the most famous I, I, roles. It was in uh, Kubrick's version of Lolita. Oh yes, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that I reviewed I, I, the very first episode of the show, and I, I don't think he was afraid to play unlikable characters, and he played them really really well. I know Eddie is. Uh, he frequently does a James Mason impersonation. James Mason, kind of. Uh, yeah. That's I don't do a James Mason, but yeah, the character was great because it was a great it was a great contrast to Newman's character. Newman's character, who still still was getting on his feet. You know, he was still he was still rusty. He was still. Uh, but whereas James Mason like had it together. He had a team. It looked like he was a teacher too. He like he had like a law. Looks like he had a law student. Law students working for him, and um, it'd be articling students, I think. Because, okay, okay. Yeah, he was a very prominent, if not the top lawyer in Boston fairly famous so he would always have a team of people around him and be kind of guiding them and what yeah. they should be doing as they, they provide information and you, you you get the guy like I, I like villains that he's not twitching his mustache mm-hmm. he just seems like he is serving his client he is in the role that he's in but he also has all of the power and he has the ability he combined with his clients and the power uh, not to get controversial but the power of the church are able to make witnesses that Paul Newman needs disappear. Right. Yeah. It's 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 a stacked deck. Yeah. No, it was a great contrast. It was it was it was a great contrast that you had this very powerful lawyer against Paul Newman who is like rebuilding himself. I, I think that's what maybe would have attracted David Mamet to this material. Because as we've talked about in the previous show uh that you were on with me uh looking at Pacino films, I, I think Mamet his heart is with the underdog, blue collar, the working class and has a healthy distrust for authority figures and, okay, yeah. and so that's why this material it makes sense that to have him as a, as a screenwriter this is a David Mamet he's not using the F word every second word or, or, or that kind of thing it's kind of a restrained Mamet but yet I, I I really did sense it was one of his scripts he understands these guys who are in bars telling stories every night and drinking away and uh, you know if there's a woman there like uh, trying to get in bed with uh, this random woman 
like th that that kind of stuff it, it just feels totally authentic and paul newman is everybody knows paul newman at this point in his career he's been a movie star he's he's not old but he's getting a little bit older but yet he's able to play somebody this flawed really well in a way that i don't not convinced other movie stars could have steve mcqueen steve mcqueen couldn't have steve mcqueen always wanted to be the hero in his films but newman wasn't afraid to go to that place we see it a bit in the hustler i actually i think the subject matter in this movie is way more important than in the hustler and that's maybe why it gives there's a little bit of an edge plus i like that maturity that that newman brings to this role so it's like the best of young we have the best of young paul newman in this show but we also have the best of later paul newman uh in many yeah. ways with, with with the verdict here's where because i i don't want to be just singing its praises and this is a challenge i've had i really don't like a movie i want to be able to say some nice things about it if i really love a movie i want to find some things to criticize yeah i have a couple things as well that you might i wonder if we'll have the same things yeah yeah same i say thing. the same thing because there's one thing there's there's one thing in particular that doesn't yeah. age well i have two okay so we'll get into spoilers i would highly encourage people to check out the verdict but you probably have seen even though this is maybe the best of those courtroom films but if you've seen one of these movies you could probably figure out what might happen at the end how it happens is a little bit different than i would expect but this like many other movies has a an amazingly well acted speech to the jury by the protagonist and based on that power of that speech they win the case not based on any of the evidence that's been presented in the case but because of how great this particular speech is all right and maybe i'm being a little bit hard on it but that's that's something that's there a bigger problem i have and this is something i and i actually cut it out of the show that we were talking about uh just because i thought we were kind of sidetracked a little bit on this one but one of the problems with mammoth scripts is women who appear in his films uh or his plays will often be backstabbers so uh again spoilers but the plot twist here where the girlfriend is has been in the entire time working for james mason and collecting all this information and giving it back to him and she becomes so irredeemable right is a problem and it's something that mammoth goes back to time and time and again and in both of the movies that i really love we have paul newman slap a woman okay and I, which I think, you know, as as much as like it, and I, I really don't think Piper Laurie's character deserves that in, in The Hustler, but this character is as horrible as she is. I don't think there's any call for that to ever happen. And it makes us, at least as a modern uh, viewer of the film, have less respect for the main character. But the issue is that once again, we have another female character in a movie who, you know, I... I guess the fact that she's stabbing him in the back is is more than just being Paul Newman's girlfriend in the film, but it's not a great role for for a female. Charlotte Rampling's actually quite a good actor, but uh, I don't I don't think I think that's the weakness uh, among the cast and 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 in the film. Yeah, to comment on that, I had a I had another point as well, but to comment on the the actual the actual verdict at the end, it did it did kind of come as a I mean, I the the movie has has to end in a certain way for it to pay off, but it did seem a little bit like surprise, you know, here's and it's like how did they kind of cuz I know there was a whole big testimony that they were supposed to ignore. I don't know how a jury's supposed to just pull that piece of memory out of their brain, but <laughs> You know, I know our, at least here in the U.S., our justice system is wonky, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so I, I guess it is a little strange. But I was a little surprised that the the uh, the jury was emph 
emphatic in their decision. So it was a little bit, I don't know how you felt about that. Didn't you feel like there should have been maybe a little more of a build up to that? Maybe a little more, some other little piece of evidence or something that, that, that came in that they, I don't know. And my, my, I, I hadn't bothered me. And maybe I wasn't just not looking at it as critically previous yeah. time I had watched this and I've watched this movie probably four or five times. And this is the first time it really was like, so what is this based on? Right. And the only excuse I can come up with is exactly what you mentioned that there's this testimony from a nurse, which the, the biased judge finds an excuse to get thrown out, but the jury watches it and that, that would have stayed with them for sure. It, it was like kind of, Kind of like, and, and if you ever watch um, the Coppola directed film, uh, John Grisham's The Rainmaker. Rainmaker. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I saw a long time. Which are stolen from the verdict, I think, in that. But this felt a lot like the, the climax of a John Grisham novel, where the jury comes in with some outrageous figure at the end to punish the, the bad authority figures that did this bad thing. Yet, what was actually presented objectively in the trial should not have led to that conclusion so and as far as the slapping yeah that was uh that was very jarring to see and the fact that everybody in the room nobody was even helping her and it was an exception oh I, I don't know why they would all know but yeah i think that, yeah and then and then she's not she, i mean they they make a point in the movie that she is not forgiven in fact that's yeah. this is the movie with the ending that's lame i, I thought the, the last few minutes but basically the last few minutes is, is us seeing him just he's not gonna forgive her she's trying to call him i mean i guess i don't know what's he gonna do get back together with her she did you know double cross him but the other thing about it's, it's like the hustler in some ways yeah. where you could yeah. argue it's a happy ending but when you look at what we're left with it's not actually all that happy the girl I think her her life is destroyed you know the doctors will pay for it but the, the rich lawyers could go on to the next case things are a little bit better for paul newman's character but he's then left alone yeah and he's probably gonna be going back to that same bar and going back to the same habits he always had he just has a little bit more money in his pocket yeah i don't think we needed to see her calling him i think it could have had some other i think it's okay that he like that they have that moment where they see each other and then he, he walks away and i think that would have been enough of that but the other thing was um there was some racial stuff in this that was problematic there's a scene where um, Paul Newman yeah. gets a doctor. He gets, he like flies in a doctor uh, as an expert witness. The doctor turns out to be black. And first, Paul Newman's like waiting for him to arrive. And you see he's looking at like, he's waiting for the doctor. And like, you know, he's looking at like the white people, <laughs> the distinguished looking white people. And of course, a, a black man walks up to him. He's like surprised that it's him. But then he's, he's all right with it. But then the, um, the James Mason w at one point refers to him as a witch doctor, which was like, oh, no, it doesn't, it doesn't age well. And, and, and they make point they're like they're describing him oh by the way he's black uh oh this isn't this isn't holding up well in 2020 well yeah and i sometimes i i have a sense that mammoth had in mind one thing with that and sydney lumet had something else in mind i mammoth is not politically correct in any way shape or form and we would see that in some of his other plays and screenplays where there would be characters who would be openly racist in in in, in their talk i'm thinking in particular in glenn gary glenn ross when they're talking about trying to sell to East Indian customers there's a there's a lot of politically incorrect language in his scripts and I think he also and if you're listening to this uh, podcast in Boston I do apologize I've spent very little of my life in Boston so uh, this is not me saying this, but there has been this idea that in Boston, there's a lot of racism, uh, particularly towards African Americans. Uh, there has been in, I would say in everywhere, but Boston has been uh, a place that 
that's like that. I think Sidney Lumet's intention is to point out, like he does uh, in his other films, the uh, the racism and the inequity. And he also makes his villains much more villainous if they are saying, oh, and he's black. And there's that subtext behind it, that witch doctor comment and all that, where, where it is problematic is, once again, and Newman's character is very flawed. We can't like everything that he does, but the fact that he just assumes that the doctor is white. It's yeah. probably not something that would would pass muster today. I I, I understand it in context. Yeah, um, it's, it's it is problematic though. Yeah. I I yeah. totally agree. It, it can yeah. take you out of the movie. If, if this doctor had proved everybody wrong, was just like this amazing expert witness, but he doesn't actually help the case that much. Which is is kind of like I had no expectations for him, and that proved to be true. So that that wasn't a, a fantastic message we're left with there. Yeah, I think that's how it would be handled today. If like if if they wanted to have these these uh racial. As a race, I guess we could say somewhat racist. They would have the, the character, the black doctor, would have been, you know, he would have taken the stand to be a superstar, you know, or to kind of even that, all, all that out. So he, he would have muted everything James Mason was throwing at. Yeah, I, that's that's also where Mason was very good. He is so passive aggressive and so snarky when he's doing the cross examination. Oh, oh, you do. Oh, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Right. It's nice that you've done that. But uh, sometimes I wonder in these, in these movies, like this happened in this movie where the lawyer is cross-examining the person on the stand and they're getting so close and they're talking and I'm like can the jury hear them you know I know it's a movie I know I've, I gotta stretch myself for a movie they, they, they have the transcripts uh, I guess if the oh they do oh great so they get to read all this after the yeah they get to read what they great. afterwards uh, I don't want to be on a jury well, the, the, I don't know if you have anything else to add but the, the last thing I have to add of course is uh, my favorite performance in the verdict is uh, Bruce Willis's yes <laughs> Bruce if you have anyone at home if you've never seen Bruce Willis in the verdict this is this is before moonlighting, before anything. He's he's an extra, but you can very clearly see him. It's uh, when uh, Paul Newman gives his last speech. There's a uh, Bruce Willis sitting right in the back. That's the fun thing about watching those who would become movie stars back when they you know were, weren't getting much work, but they were they were still kind of in the right place to be able to to, to get into the film. It sounds yeah. like you're, you're you're in a movie which is currently in theaters, right? Oh, that's right. I'm in um the trial of the Chicago Seven. Yeah, yes. yeah. You're you're a reporter. I think there's a. That's right. I'm a movie star. I forgot that there's a movie with me in it. Um, yeah. Just, uh, starting at a major release. It really yeah. is a weird year this year. So when you mentioned Bruce Willis being in, you know, in the shot, yeah, yeah, I think you're featured quite a bit in that, in that scene. Yeah, I'm a photographer in it, and I know, and and um, I saw a production still, like the main production still came out. I was I was in that. It's like, okay, there I am. Nice. So yeah, that's cool. But at this point, I think Bruce was still a bartender. Yeah. And, uh, and it, but it's cool because he actually did a movie with Paul Newman. I think it's called Nobody's Fool. Yes. Yeah. Years I mean, later. Had an upcoming show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, and I think that they had a dialogue at one point where he said, um, somebody said, you know, Paul, you work with Bruce before. He's like, what? I never work. He said, no, take a look at this. And they showed him the scene. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's going to be cool. So uh, I get the sense that probably we'd be looking five, six years, you're going to be rescuing a bunch of people in uh, Los Angeles high rise. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be you'll be dying hard, I'm sure. I would right? love to do that. That's uh yes. Let's put that out of the universe. The die, hard, uh, die Hard remake starring Kirk Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I would. I, I think that's great. I haven't really been working toward that genre, but um, I'm, I'm open to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could do it, sure. Yeah, because yeah, sure. uh, 
Bruce used to do improv in New York. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I have the same uh, background. A lot of people don't know it, but he is actually yeah. a funny guy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the verdict? No, except I was excited to see Eastern Airlines. Uh, that's been out of business for many years. Yes. And our, uh, Rodney Dangerfield had a joke. Eastern Airlines thanked him for flying United. So. <laughs> <laughs> the very thought of you. Harry. Honestly, Harry, did you see me in The Last Rebel? Yeah. Then I think you've seen everything there is of me to see. In a place where the sun can blind you. Harry, my wife is never going to sleep with you anyway. You might as well come up here and play cards. In a city where the night can seduce you. I want you to run an errand for me. Told you, I don't do detective work anymore. I suppose you think it's blackmail. Well, it's not. Nothing is more dangerous. You weren't there, okay? Forget the whole thing. Then a past. Did you ever hear of a guy by the name of Lester Ivor? No. That keeps coming back to haunt you. Walk away right now before you find out something you don't want to know. You were at his apartment this afternoon. What are you talking about? What's that perfume you wear? It was still in the air when I got there. Harry, a lot of women wear Ball of Versailles. It smells different on them. Don't you ever get tired of the beautiful people? Doesn't it ever bother you that they can do as they please? Because there's always guys like you and me who clean up after them. Who are you covering up for, Harry? Right, wrong, truth. Doesn't mean anything to you? You say you're my friend. Is that the truth? I'm tired of people getting killed. I'm tired of being lied to. When have I lied to you? When you acted as though you loved me. Like you think that you are entitled to all the things that you got, no matter who has to pay. He said people like me care so much about things that we would kill for them. Maybe people like you shouldn't get close to people like me. You are good. You are very good. Paramount Pictures presents Academy Award winners Paul Newman. Susan Sarandon, Gene Hackman. Harry. Still love me. Twilight. Okay, so we are not talking about Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson here, but we are talking about a movie that was released in 1998 called Twilight. And this was an exciting film. I was I was pumped to see it. I saw it in theaters, first-run theaters, because it was the follow-up to Robert Benton and Paul Newman after Nobody's Fool came out. And the cast for this movie, starring Paul Newman as a detective named Harry Ross, is Susan Sarandon, Gene Hackman, Reese Witherspoon, very young Reese Witherspoon, Lockard Shannon, James Garner, Giancarlo Esposito, Liev Schreiber, Margot Martindale, before she was well known, John Spencer, who became big on uh, the West Wing, but had a very successful career in television, M. Emmett Walsh. And this has all of the elements, I think, uh, including an El Elmer Bernstein score, that it should have been a big, big movie, but instead it was released in February. It was almost the same weekend as The Big Lebowski. 
I remember critics reviewed this in The Big Lebowski and they were hard on both of them. They said it's because they had sky high expectations for the Coen brothers follow up to Fargo, not knowing that The Big Lebowski would become a cult hit and is as well known as Fargo, I would I would say. But Twilight's a movie that has been lost. And I remember liking it back when I saw it in uh, 1998 in theaters. I'm not sure I had as great a time this time with it, unfortunately. And it's a it's such an obscure movie that I think I will end up making some excuses for it. But where it falters, I think is the screenplay it's it's a detective story it is elaborate it has some of the film noir elements but it's scenes are just so overplayed and 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 poorly done and in some cases some of the actors are quite good some of the actors are not as good as i would expect them to be and so i'm unfortunately a little bit mixed i kept thinking throughout this that if the director had been robert altman for this movie or even clint eastwood it would have been a better film and, and I really like Robert Benton he of course won his Oscar for Kramer versus Kramer I really want to l- like this film but I think if I'm to be honest now looking at it what I know now my thumb is down on this one yeah I I, say. I would say as well I don't hate to say it because I don't have much <laughs> attachment to this that's interesting that's interesting you said uh clint eastwood because that that would he would be a, a good uh choice for this material yeah why do you think robert altman would be though altman did a lot of these kind of comedic noir uh especially los angeles based films i'm thinking of the long goodbye the gingerbread man's another one if you've seen those films a gingerbread uh, man i have not heard yeah. of that. Okay. this is the second time i brought up john grisham in this podcast but john grisham did a screen story that altman then took for the gingerbread man it was a, a movie starring kenneth Branagh and robert downey jr and really really really, really good cast and, um tom berenger was in there and just, just altman could always attract a great ensemble cast and so some of the skills of how he would approach that which was a little bit more of a trust the actors hands off uh, type of approach and just let it, the behavior be what it is uh, mm-hmm. and trust his cast I think and I think Benton on a whole trusted his cast too as far as improvisations and that kind of thing but this one felt very very forced in places I don't right. know if it was just he was getting older or or if the studios had their noses in here and were demanding different things but th- th- something went wrong with this film and I can't quite figure out what it is yeah I I, <clears throat> I appreciated it as a time capsule I mean Obviously, it is a forgotten movie. I mean, someone you say Twilight, people aren't going to think of this. No. Um, I I may have heard of this movie, like I vaguely remember the poster. But it's an interesting. It as you you mentioned the cast. It's a very interesting time capsule in terms of the cast. Yeah. Looking at it today, it's like the who's who of uh, TV. It's like there's like I mean the people who played supporting roles in this movie are like major players. You also you have um, Margot Martindale. I think you mentioned her. She's on in Handmaid's Tale. You know, she's won an Emmy for that. And, and she's in this movie. She looks so young. I don't even think I'd seen her that young before, or at least not when I was aware of who she was. But she has a major role in this. Leif Schreiber, this was after Scream. but So that's why it's kind of interesting, because he's playing kind of a creepy... Oh, yeah. It was kind of the role that he was playing at that time. He was playing like a like a creepy role. I've seen I saw Leif Schreiber on Broadway. I saw him in uh, talk radio, cool. and um, he was great. And uh, I actually actually met him kind of very briefly. He lived across the street from a theater I was I was performing in, cool. and I I gave him and his wife flyers to my show, and they were very nice. But uh, having said that's my full disclosure. But no, he's 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 a he's a great actor. He's done such great stuff. There's a show. What's the show on Showtime? I've not seen it, but Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 
that's the best thing he's ever done. I mean, for, for him yeah. as an actor, like Scream is iconic. He'll always be remembered for that. But for him as an actor to show everything that, that he can do, Ray Donovan has been his 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 best character. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I forgot about Scream. As I said, the, the, the Scream years, he was more of like a, a creepy supporting, like playing like creepy supporting roles. It was, yeah. I hadn't seen him that young in so long either. So I didn't recognize him at first. Yeah. So that was interesting. As I said, with Time Capsule, I mean, Reese Witherspoon has become, you know, like a, powerhouse even even as she's a producer now and and uh she's in the movie and she gives a strong performance seeing gene hackman again because he's basically retired although i did recently see the conversation so i had so it's not like i haven't seen him in too long but yeah it's a it's an all-star cast but i would just say that everybody in this movie has done better work with much better material and i i would say the movie on the whole is it's it's not necessary it's a film noir there are many different other film noirs from many different other uh, other eras that you that that would be much more worthwhile to watch i mean kind of broke yeah. broke art because i i don't know I, why i had fond memories of this i just thought putting all of these great actors together is it's just one of those wonderful things when it doesn't work i i can't i i don't know where the blame goes and i guess i just go to the writer and director fair or unfair like the studio does interfere with some films sometimes but i'm not sure that they would have with with this particular filmmaker he, he was quite well established at this point but i don't i'm not sure what went wrong i would say that the highlights as far as acting how they came across in the film paul newman does a good job and he he does try to center and anchor the film but you're right he's been better in other things but he, he's trying hackman i think is 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 fine in this role he's playing this detective's best friend who is uh this once great movie star who has cancer and is is bedridden throughout and susan sarandon does does a good job with the material she plays hackman's wife who is an actor who lost her husband or boyfriend years before under cer- mysterious circumstances and so, so the a lot of the mystery of of that comes into play here because there's some connections to that in in paul Newman's journey of trying to figure things out starts off just doing a favor for Gene Hackman and he ends up coming across a man attacking him and somebody ending up dead and and it kind of goes for there and then people start attacking Newman left right center and all goes back to this 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 cold crime they do a good job I like the score it's an appropriate big epic film noirish type of score by by Bernstein but uh you mentioned Leah Schreiber I I thought he was awful I just thought he was awful in the movie he he is he's a guy who's gone so much better uh, i'm not sure i was quite this is early this is very early on yeah for him though in his as far as his film career this was this was very early on for him so yeah, yeah I, I just don't think he was particularly good and maybe just the age or whatever i think he maybe we we can come up with some excuses there for him what i'm confused by is how bad james garner is in this movie that's funny yeah i didn't care for he, he, i don't I, I can't put my, my finger on that either but he turned me off as well he's uh, an old cop buddy of uh, of newman's and uh he's just overly colorful and he drinks a lot and he's peeing off of his balcony when yeah, Newman- what was he doing that was his was his plumbing not not working or what he just, no, he he just, just wanted-, wanted to do it to be eccentric i don't know it's okay. we're just supposed to to go along with this i mean 
<laughs> the good news is that there's an attempt to give him a little bit more depth in the third act. But either way, any scene that I look at, he's he's overplaying it. And I haven't known James Garner, even though he's a little bit of a character actor, to overact to this degree. Uh, and I, I don't know if Benton wasn't just wasn't getting the performance out of him, or or what was going on there, or if they thought playing things big would make sense for what they were doing. But it it, it just uh, it makes me sad because he he's of course died now too, and this was not not the greatest of showcases of his work. Lots of gratuitous nudity. Robert Benton would have a lot of nudity in his films. Kramer versus Kramer has some. Nobody's fool does. But there are points where you know I mean we first see uh, Susan Sarandon. She's swimming naked in her pool for no particular reason whatsoever, other than to make Paul Newman blush. I guess when when he walks into the backyard. Reese Witherspoon. I saw her. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon. There's an opening sequence where Paul Newman has been hired to go to Mexico to uh, get her back uh, from she's run off with Liev Schreiber, and like everything about that sequence is so badly done, including this comedically bad sequence where Newman gets shot in the leg and find out later that people think he was actually shot in the penis and it's really really stupid stuff which is kind of sidelines the main story but yeah Reese Witherspoon has a, a very graphic nude scene at the beginning which and I, I sound really awful when I say this but that was almost the the only highlight of the opening <laughs> scene of the film I mean because everything else is so bad like, right isn't even particularly good in that in that particular sequence there. Yeah, so those are my points there. But I, Stockard Shannon, I think, does her best. Stockard Shannon and uh, and John Spencer were both were on the West Wing. So this was a, a couple of years before the West Wing when I think actually '99 is when West Wing started. So okay. uh, they were on the verge of that. But and Stockard Shannon was established. She'd been in Greece. She'd been up for an Oscar for Six Degrees of Separation. I think she was one of the one of the great celebrities. Uh, and she's an actor, even when she has bad material she comes across quite well. So there's a lot of things here I want to like, and I think my memory of it is a little bit better than, than what the actual movie is, sadly. Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, in a Martin Scorsese picture. He's got the eye, he's got the stroke, he's got the flake. Vincent's the best. We got a racehorse here thoroughbred you make him feel good i teach him how to run i'm not your daddy i'm not your boyfriend so don't be playing games with me i'm your partner i love this I made money. I lost money. I got half of me that says I got a hold of the best thing that I ever seen, and half of me that says it just ain't worth it. Why'd you take a walk? 500 bucks says you choke right now. You used me. Yes, I did. I'm gonna leave. This is Fast Eddie Felson. Who the hell are you? 25 years ago, I won my share of medals. It was over for me before it really got started. I'm hungry again. See some heavy legend action. I want his best game. You want my game? You couldn't deal with my game, Jack. You're outmanned. I'm gonna beat him, you know. What makes you so sure? Touchstone Pictures presents... You smell what I smell? Smoke? Money. 
the color of money. Well, in the first show I did with you, we, we ended off with the Scorsese film, The Irishman, and here we go again with the Martin Scorsese movie that, I'm, oddly enough, I'm not sure how many people recognize that Martin Scorsese directed, uh, The Color of Money. It's funny, the, the copy I have, there's no supplementary materials. Scorsese doesn't do a commentary. I don't recall Scorsese talking a whole lot about this movie as opposed to some of the or other movies that he has directed, but he decided to do 25 years later, the C Equal to the Hustler, where we have uh, Fast Eddie Felsen, who of course was was never allowed to. Uh, again, spoilers for the Hustler, but it's kind of the lead into this. Was not allowed to play pool in in major cities anymore. So he he has his own place where he's kind of dealing and buying up alcohol for for this pool hall. And he now sort of guides young pool players, and he's the one that he has you know some influence over at the beginning of the film is John Totoro and John Totoro's just getting killed like within five seconds he's losing to this other young pool player played by one Tom Cruise who I believe this came out the same year as Top Gun was on the way to and about to become the biggest movie star of the late 80s and into the early 90s and what we have here is Tom Cruise kind of takes the place of Fast Eddie Felsen from The Hustler, this young guy with a bunch of talent, but does not know how to use his gifts appropriately. Tom Cruise, he plays Vincent. He has his girlfriend and Carmen, played by, I think, an underrated actor, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, managing his career. And Newman sees an opportunity when he sees this young guy and tries to hustle his way into their lives and wants to go take him on the road and take him to this major tournament for, for pool players in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where he thinks this young guy could win it all. And that's the setup. Uh, other names we want to mention, Helen Schaefer. She plays Paul Newman's uh, girlfriend, Janelle. And Bill Cobbs uh, plays Orvis, who kind of runs one of the one of the pool halls, one of the few remaining pool halls that Eddie goes back to when he's trying to mentor this Tom Cruise character. What do you think of The Color of Money? Uh, well, also, Farce Whitaker had a um, Sorry. very good role in this Great movie. Great for him. Yeah. yeah. But it was more than, it was, he had a, it was an extended... A scene. He had he had, he was a uh, the main character in one scene. It was great. Yeah. And I think this was early on for him. This was before Good Morning Vietnam. Been in Fast Times at Richmond High. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Years before that. Good it's Morning Vietnam. Years. Same year. I think '86 uh, came out the same year. So yeah, he was on his way. What did I think of it? I'm surprised I never saw this movie because I've seen I've I've seen you know probably most of the movies from the '80s. I feel this one slipped through my fingers. I I didn't care for Tom Cruise in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. he kept he had this like dumb laugh he kept doing. But just like with every, every line it was annoying his hair looked weird Ben Stiller did a parody of this I'd never seen The Color of Money but I saw Ben Stiller's parody it did a short film and he he played the he played the Tom Cruise role like he was like laughing it, it's, it's kind of funny because the young Tom Cruise kind of looks like Ben Stiller a little bit like a younger Ben Stiller so he pulled that off he did it with uh, Ben Stiller did it with John Mahoney as the uh, Paul Newman role okay but I really enjoyed Mary Elizabeth Mastro I'm trying to say her name right. Actually, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation I looked. I I, I listened to the pronunciations. So I get it right, but I don't remember. Mastrantonio. Mastrantonio. Yes. Yeah. Now, 
Full disclosure, she once smiled at me at a craft service table. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, she did. Uh, she was very nice because I worked with her when she was doing Law and Order Criminal Intent oh. for a little while. Uh, but I really, I thought she was great. I thought she was the strongest. To, for me, she was the strongest Complex. performance. I really yeah. enjoyed her in this movie. I enjoyed her character. I enjoyed the, the way she the way she played it. I just enjoyed her. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of hers now uh, at this moment. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know. Maybe they should have figured a way of getting a Tom Cruise. Maybe he should have been like, like maybe like she should have been. Well, I guess in a way she was kind of teaming up with a Paul Newman character. But I don't know. But the but the she was great, and I thought uh, Paul Newman was fine. He was good in it. I thought Tom Cruise just kind of for me just kind of dragged dragged it down. He was acting weird. He looked weird. There wasn't much to it. Here's my take on it, and I understand why he was cast in that role because it was kind of like at the it's almost an equivalent point in his career as to Newman's when Newman did The Hustler, and he's playing the that version of Fast Eddie Felson, but I think Cruz looked back at the hustler and was trying to do what Paul Newman did. And what we were getting was like over charisma, over hyped up movie star stuff, but not with the acting chops to pull it off. And I'm not a Tom Cruise hater. I think he's mm-hmm. actually been good in some movies and that he's not given a whole lot of credit for. But I, I think that's he was only playing a kind of a superficial version of what Newman did in The Hustler, which had a lot more depth to it and he wasn't able to get to that other level when it was kind of the um the crisis moments for his character the the downtimes i mean there's a scene here where newman has decided to separate with uh with with uh master antonio and and cruz and his reaction is so ridiculously over the top like he actually breaks the railing in this pool hall because he's like so overacting that part i think i think there there could have been potential i know why he was cast and I, he maybe he was trying to do some method thing because method actors uh, have worked well with Scorsese. But yeah, that's there are a couple of takes where I think Scorsese needed to sort of stop it and sort of you needed to tone it down a little bit. But well, yeah, there was also there was also a, a, a trend during those years of uh, Tom Cruise would be in a movie and he, he would have a mentor, like he had a mentor in uh, yeah, uh, Robert Duvall, right? Tom uh, Skerritt and Top Tom Gun, Garrett, yeah, because he's a young uh, hotshot guy or whatever. And then, then I, it, it's kind of weird, like all the, the trading of roles that started to happen because in some ways Paul Newman became kind of like the George C. Scott character in the story yet he right. doesn't yeah he did yeah yeah he doesn't go to those levels at one point Tom Cruise actually thinks that Newman has the hots for uh for his girlfriend and confronts him about that when they're doing some play acting and again he, he's just such the guy's such an airhead he doesn't get what's what, what what's going on and that I think Newman wants to make some money but he also wants to be back in that world and that leads him back but then he he discovers that you know he the key scene with Forrest Whitaker that he wants to be a pool player and uh, again and he wants to get back into it all these years later and this was an excuse to get in there with with this young couple and he is actually doing a good job it's just the cruise character just won't listen to him and keeps making stupid mistakes but yeah i i, I think it you know it's interesting to parallel to the george c scott character yet i i don't i'm not left at the end thinking that paul newman's character is a villain in any way shape or form like this right. the older uh, fast eddie felson it's interesting to me so this is a little bit of a bone of contention which is not paul newman's fault or the film's fault he won the oscar for this one and it's because i think they they realized they should have given it to him for the verdict mm-hmm. and i think 82 I, I maybe that was gandhi uh and ben kingsley won for gandhi or something oh yeah probably yeah yeah 
And and so I, that would have been a tough choice to make for sure for, for best actor. But they, they wanted to reward him at long last because he didn't win for The Hustler. He didn't win for Cool Hand Luke and all, all of these, these films along the way. He was starting to get a little bit older and they thought, well, maybe this is our last chance to, to reward him with the Academy Award. So I hate to call it a career Academy Award, but that, that same year, Bob Hoskins was in a movie called Mona Lisa, a Neil Jordan mm-hmm. film which a lot of people have seen, but he was up for best actor and he should have beaten Paul Newman. All that said, like you've admitted that you think Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio gives the best performance in the movie. I think, I think in many ways you're right, but Newman knew this Fast Eddie character really well. And 25 years later, I think he was able to slip into the older version of him really well. And, and he does still anchor the film quite well. That combined with all of Scorsese's techniques with the camera and with editing and all of that. Yeah, the, the uh, pull shots were uh, were all shot really cool. It's an it's an odd... Um, but very superficial. Yeah. I mean, let's show off what we can do with our camera right now as opposed to people with like less technology making the shots that they made in The Hustler. So that's where yeah. I it, but I kept thinking this feels less impressive to me than, than what was done in The Hustler. I thought I would enjoy it because I obviously I've been aware of this movie since it came out. I've just never seen it. I, I, I thought I would enjoy this movie more. It's a, it's a bit odd in the Scorsese canon as well. It seems almost like it's a work for hire that he did. Well, here's my theory on it too. I don't know this for a fact. Okay. So I keep presenting this stuff and I hopefully it's not, you know, misinformation, but the, the next film that Scorsese came out with was the last temptation of Christ, which he, he spent many, many years trying to finance. I think he maybe took this as a, a for hire job to get some money. And he is working with two, two movie stars. Uh, and that this movie would make some money Then he could take some of that money and put it into last temptation, which was his, his dream project at that particular uh, point in his, his career. Right. And this was also, um, I know what he was trying to get, he almost got last temptation made, then it fell apart. And then he made yeah, after hours, he made after hours, which, uh, another movie I just saw this past year uh, for the first time. That's a really, that is a really cool movie. That's a movie I'd wanted to see for years and it, it didn't disappoint. Yeah, so just getting back to Color of Money, I mean, I think I haven't mentioned yet the screenwriter. Uh, Richard Christ. Who is another one. Uh, he's he's a novelist as well. Much like David Mamet, he's a guy who like goes into the trenches and he spends a lot of time in neighborhoods and spends time with police officers. And his screenplays sound like, uh, and same with the dialogue in his books, sound like real people talking he wrote the book and also a screenplay for clockers and he's uh, I've always really liked him Uh, so he does the screenplay here having Scorsese as the director I think um, Michael Balhus who I've talked about before an elite cinematographer he was the only nice thing I really had to say about the uh, television version of Death of a Salesman starring Dustin Hoffman the fact that they got him for for that was something else he, he does a lot of great stuff uh, to make the film interesting and visual. And just, yeah, that, like Forrest Whitaker is so good in that one scene role. He's, he, his one scene, you almost want to go and follow that character around. It would have been interesting right. if it was, if, if it was the, the hustler in 1986 and we had a, a black hustler or Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio was the hustler and we had a female, female right. instead of putting all of our stuff into Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm not a Tom Cruise hater. 
hater here, but he he he's weak. He is weak. Um, I'm not a hater either. I think I think Rain Man. I think he's better than Dustin Hoffman or Rain Man. I mean, I'm sure it's going to argue. Yeah. He's he's great in that movie, and I don't know why he doesn't bring that bring those skills to some of his other work. There was a potential for Cruz. He's still early in his career, but th- there was the same potential. I think Paul Newman. They they were friends. Paul Newman got Cruz into ra- race car driving, which led to mm-hmm. Days Under. I think Paul Newman actually saw something in Tom Cruise like he would be kind of the next version of him this completely turned out that way but I, I think there was a chance there but it's a lot of the secondary characters that we're talking about what did you think about uh, John Turturro oh he was good it was it was a uh, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun to see him as well too because that was early so 86 that would have been like that would have been three years before do the right thing um, like, it turns like into a nasty character just it seemed a, a little bit out of nowhere to me it was just yeah. because Newman took on Tom Cruise and then he started showing up everywhere and just being a, a jerk and, yeah. and really play up on the in, until he became a jerk that he was this giant cokehead like that became a part of his character later on but I mean, he wasn't in it that much I thought it was I I, I enjoyed seeing early John DeTaro I think that that must have been one of his uh, first movies really early interesting facial hair he had in it too yeah uh, he did something I think it's called The Night Of it's like an HBO miniseries yes. and he's yeah. he's very good that's it's very good yeah, yeah I've only I only watched the first episode of it and I, I meant to get back to it someday I'm gonna see the rest of it yeah yeah. it just looked amazing getting to again spoilers but getting to the end I don't know I want to say too much about the end there's a lot of twists and turns in the plot and I think that all kind of works but this is the one you mentioned the verdict you weren't happy with the ending this is the one where I wasn't happy with the ending we have just this Paul Newman has this stupid kind of I don't know if it's stupid but he has this this big Hollywood like line and the camera pans in on mm-hmm. him and shot and that's the end of the movie and yeah. it, it felt anticlimactic it felt like it, the movie just stopped and there was more right. hell and that's I mean that's the last time we see uh, Fast Eddie Felsen on screen they're bringing Paul Newman back from the dead for a, a third film here I, I I thought it was a very dissatisfying end to the film yeah I could see that it was, it was an open ending you don't know you don't know really where it's going just that it's Fast Eddie seems to be pleased with life yeah and then that was it yeah and I guess maybe it's supposed to bring like a more of a hopeful ending whereas The Hustler would have a bit more pathos I thought The Hustler actually had an ending to it I mean yeah, this, yeah. here's the consequences of what happened and now the characters are moving on with their lives here we're like and i don't necessarily need to see what happens in that specific moment but it just didn't feel like it was the end of the film felt like they they took trouble to to create almost a fourth act for the film but but that was it and maybe they left it that way because they thought they were gonna this was gonna be a big success and they were gonna be doing another movie with 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 newman and Cruz. yeah maybe i think it was was a success wasn't it 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 was the 80s so it was just enough to give newman an oscar and I think yeah. Tom Cruise, I'm sure it made some money because everything Tom Cruise did seemed to seem to work. I mean, going back to risky business. I like it. I don't love it, though. And I feel like I, it's weird for me to not love a Martin Scorsese-directed film starring Paul Newman, the one and only time mm-hmm. that they work together. It's maybe for 2020 audiences an easier watch than The Hustler would be because you mentioned The Hustler is quite slow and this one moves quite a bit faster. I would watch. Well, but but yeah. I like The Hustler way, way more. And the winner. We have to wait a second. The winner is Paul Newman. 
Kurt Fitzpatrick, thank you again for coming back to talk to me about Paul Newman and Paul Newman films here. And it was kind of interesting because the fact that all six of these were new to you. And I'm, I'm curious about how that's going to impact your point total. Uh, so you have 60 points to work with here. And I'm just going to go in the order of the films that we, we talked about. And you'll just tell me what you would give it. So starting off with The Hustler, how many points did you give The Hustler? 13. And Exodus. 8. The Towering Inferno. 12. The Verdict. 13. Twilight. 5. And The Color of Money. 9. All right, interesting. We, we're in similar places around the same neighborhood. There's one movie where we have the exact same amount of points. Yeah, so starting off with uh, The Hustler, I, I said I love this movie and I meant it. I'm giving it 15 points. Exodus was one I struggled with and I, I, I feel like I'm being disrespectful to the subject matter here, but I'm only giving it five points. The Towering Inferno, I, I liked quite a bit. I, I'm giving it nine points. It was kind of in the middle of some other, other ones, but please check out The Towering Inferno. I also mentioned the other movie I love is The Verdict, and it would be tough for me to choose between The Verdict and The Hustler. So another 15 points goes to The Verdict. Twilight, sadly, uh, I'm giving it seven points, but it is an interesting movie as a bit of a Paul Newman completist, as I've been trying to be, but I, I'm still missing several of his movies. I have it in there as an interesting movie in like kind of the last 15 years of his life. And the one where we have the exact same points is The Color of Money, nine points. It's, it's tough for me to outright dismiss a Scorsese film. I like the character. There's potential there. I think we keep going back to Tom Cruise as being the problem with that movie, which is kind of too bad. But it's 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 worth seeing, I think, for those who haven't checked it out. But I would encourage you to see The Hustler first and see The Color of Money. So where that leads everything is as follows so uh, the movie that garnered the most points was actually a tie so uh, between the hustler and the verdict each had 28 points next up with 21 points is the towering inferno then we have the color of money with 18 points and just barely eking out fifth place with 13 points is exodus 12 points for twilight so the movie sadly that I have to remove from you could see this but the people at home can't this collection of paul newman dvds is mm. twilight so what would you like me to do with twilight oh you know what it sounds to me like you want to keep it i want to keep all my movies <laughs> the point of thing is i need to get rid of them that's the whole thing now, i feel bad not- coming up with the way of throwing it out i was like you know you could keep it I should stop saying it because then people. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I won't say that. Um, I was going to say you could use it as a coaster, but then you kind of still have it in your house. Well, it has to be off my my shelf as far as the shelves where I keep my movies. So it could be a coaster. If you want to be a coaster. Yeah, I think you should use it as a coaster because then it's it is off your shelf. It's probably no longer operable as a movie, but at least it kind of serves as looks like like a like an art piece that you can use. In a practical way. Okay, you're going to watch me right now do this. Because what is a coaster if not an art piece? All right, here we go. And I think you have a mug, right? You just made some, you just made some uh, coffee, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I am seeing this, so I, I can vouch for this. This will stand up in court. Coffee is on Twilight. Not the vampires. Not the vampires. No. Uh, even though... Uh, the closest treatment to that a disc has received to this, uh, to what you're you're doing, is with one of the Twilight movies, which uh, um, my guest Dan Boudet said I had to put a stake through because it was a vampire. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Which is a much, much worse film than uh, 1998's Twilight, by the way. So. I, I haven't seen those movies. So Anyway, before, uh, before I sign out here, again, I just want to uh, do a shout out for your podcast. 
It's you and a couple others who uh, review Lifetime and Hallmark movies. A Lifetime of Hallmark is what it's called. So please check it out. And I just also want to do a shout out to my friend Larry Parson show, Rank and Review, as I always do. Please check it out. Church, you'd be great on that show. I mean, I should get, oh, yeah? I should get the two of you together. Yeah, folks, please uh, keep mentioning the Shelf Shutting Movie Show to the movie fans in your life. And you can join uh, the group on Facebook. Check out the website, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Uh, dot CA because I record this from Canada and also please check us out on iTunes and Spotify and Google and Stitcher and all fine places where podcasts are played and uh, until next time please keep supporting the movies